Hi, I'm Kevin Harrington, an original shark from the hit television show Shark Tank, and you're listening to the Underdog Podcast. I've been too high up to fall, question marks, what's up with y'all? All we know is over time, barking like some underdogs. Underdogs, underdogs, underdogs. All we know is over time, barking like some underdogs. Underdogs, underdogs. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Underdog. Today, I have an incredible, incredible friend of mine here. Sue, how are you? I'm doing great, Pamela. How are you doing today? I am doing lovely. You are radiating. You are shining. How are you doing? I'm doing absolutely fabulous. So honored to have you here today, Sue. Like We've talked on the phone quite a few times and like just talked about our journeys and different things. And I'm so inspired by you and all that you've done in your world. And we walk similar paths as women in the real estate development game, which is so awesome. One of my favorite questions I just want to ask you is what inspired you on your journey to where you are today? I'm going to say my children, my daughters, they were the ones that when times got tough and it didn't look like there was any way out or anything was going to come up roses. My daughters kept me on track. They were little when things were a little bit on the tough side. So it's just their smiles and their faces and knowing that I had to do better for something and someone bigger than myself. Because sometimes as a person, myself especially, if I'm just doing something for myself, it kind of gets lost in the minutia. If I can make it bigger than myself, I will do it. So when things were tough and and we needed to get through, it was always my daughters. I love that, Sue. I love that. And as a kid growing up, what did you want to be when you grew up? (laughs) Well, I grew up in a very interesting time. I grew up in the 70s. So it was a time when women were just really kind of starting to make headway in the workforce and government and so on and so forth. When I was little, my mom couldn't get a bank account in her name. She still needed my dad to be co-signer. So it was a very interesting time. I fell into the uh, traditional, I was raised in Chicago by Union Catholic Chicago family and not necessarily in that order. So it was very traditional. I wanted to be a teacher and that's what I wanted to do with my life. But secretly, My brother and I would just build houses out of blocks and Legos and Lincoln logs all day long. So from a very early age, it's kind of what I wanted to do. I just, I didn't realize it for many years. That is so crazy. You know, what's so cool is as kids, we actually are exposed to our life purpose and then something happens along the way and then we just get disconnected from it. And then we always just like go back to it, which is, it's fascinating, isn't it? It's really fascinating. I had forgotten about it until my youngest daughter, she would draw, sketch out house plans, floor plans. And I remembered I did exactly the same thing from like the age of six or seven. Now, granted, it was a modified for my generation. They would be the rooms with all of my children because I was going to be the mommy. But I was doing things like that by the time I was in first and second grade. And I had elaborate drawings of houses. Yeah, it's like crazy to think about. Like it's so crazy, but it didn't come to you until like later in life, which is so, which is so fascinating. You know, in listening to the societal norms of what they were back then, it's like I can't even comprehend my husband having to sign off on a bank account that Mm -hmm. I had personally. Like why? Or a simple thing like a credit card or owning a home. 
the real estate market, people don't realize it, but the real estate market changed dramatically by the 80s because women could buy houses. And all of a sudden, the marketing changed to women. That's when we started seeing colors in houses, appliances. I mean, granted, they were almond, but it was appealing to women because women became the strongest buying power of houses by the mid-1980s. Even though they might have been married, they were the decision makers. That is so crazy to me. So is this the reason why any house that's built before the 70s is all beige? Well, not only is it all beige, but it's cookie cutter. Like there's not a lot to it. A man designed the house for a man to buy it. Nothing wrong with that by any means, but that was just what the norm was. So things didn't start to change from a design standpoint for middle-class homes till the early 1980s when women really were the buying power. That is crazy. I can't even, whoa. Like, and and that, I mean, like the 80s was technically 40 something years ago, even though it feels like it was only like 20 years ago in my book, you know, I feel like it's like not that far away, but actually is a little bit, but that's still not long ago. You no, know? it's not. Uh, no, not it's in my ago, lifetime. So I'm going to say it's not long ago at all. <laughs> <laughs> but like, it's, it's so bananas. Cause I'm like, I just can't even remotely think of a world like that, you know, and like how mm-hmm. far things have come. And like, probably it's because I see such badass, incredible women like yourself doing things in like real estate development and just like owning it so much. And I'm like, I just can't picture the world without that. You know, it would be amazing to hear sort of your biggest inspiration growing up you mentioned your your daughters but who played a key role as you were growing up and like who basically influenced your career path in your early years my mom even though she fell into the very traditional housewife role at the time she was kind of a trailblazer she was very open and accepting of all different kinds of people from every walk of life and her was always there's good and bad in everybody. And we have to just, you know, be kind and and be good to one another. And she taught me from a very early age. And I didn't realize until I was probably in college, that not everybody was raised this way. She taught me without any question, I could do whatever I wanted to do is if I wanted to do it. Like there was no obstacle that I couldn't overcome. And it was amazing to be raised that way. It was like, no, well, you can do whatever you want just pick it. And and she really didn't impose a lot of stereotypes on me. She wasn't the mom that said you should marry a doctor. She was the mom who said you could be a doctor. So I I am forever grateful for um, my mom, a wonderful woman. I love that. You know, what's really cool is when you have parents that inspire you or you have cheerleaders in your life that tell you from an early age, like you can be whatever, like it's not anything that's out of reach. It really does affect you to the next level. Because I'll tell you, like with my father, like my dad would always be like, Pam, you're going to be a leader. You're going to rock it. You're not going to need any man in your life. And he's going to need you. You're not going to need him. You know what I mean? Like basically yeah. like learning to stand on your own two feet and like stuff like that. And I just remember like that put so much fire in me, you know, at such a young age. And so I can definitely resonate with that. It's like when someone can tell you, you can be anything, you have the power to do anything. It's like those words really speak into you and they come to life. And it's so cool to see that. And so in your early career days, you like after high school, what happened in your world? What was your career path like? Well, I did go to college. I became a preschool teacher and nine months into it, I realized, Dear Lord, what did I pick? (laughs) And and to this day, I have, I place teachers on the highest pedestal 
because they have a very difficult job. Although I love small children, it just wasn't for me. Interestingly enough, then I went into a business. I started working for an insurance company and then later went into corporate real estate, working for Trammell Crow Company. So all of these things kind of led me to where I am meant to be, I guess. I just didn't know that's what was happening. And I left Trammell Crow Company to raise my daughters, which I am so grateful that I had that opportunity. And although I did, that's when I started my real estate career is when they were very little. I did not want to go back into corporate America where I was working 60 hours a week. There was a gentleman, this was in the mid 1990s, who passed away down the street uh, from us. And he was older. And he didn't keep up his house. And this was before anybody really, nobody really talked about flipping or doing anything like that. And told my husband at the time, I said, let's buy this. I can flip it. And so after the kids went to sleep, I would go down and do whatever work I needed to do. And we made some good money on it. And that was the beginning of it. That's That's, all she wrote. (laughs) That's crazy. So you make it seem like so easy and so like wonderful and awesome and like because I know people get stuck in like analysis paralysis and like all these things like they say that they want to do something and then you know it takes them months if not years to actually take action like what were your action steps when you were like we're going to do this what were the steps that you took I, I saw it and this was back when there was equity in, in houses that huge equity before the foreclosures hit and so on and so forth. So it made it a little bit easy because the profit was, I could see the profit there. I don't know how I could see it. I don't remember, but I could see it. It was something that I'm like, I could paint. This needs some new kitchen cabinets. We need some carpet. We need some bushes in the front. We need a few things like this. The toilet was broken. I'm like, ah, let's just do it. I could do it. And the biggest obstacle was convincing my ex-husband. He was like, this is crazy. I'm like, no, it's not. And thank goodness things changed because I went to the bank and just kind of did it almost on my own. (laughs) That's so awesome. So Sue, like you were just, so when this gentleman passed away, you approached the executor of the estate. Yeah. Who like was handling it. There actually was a for sale sign that popped up in the front, oh, in the oh, front okay, line. Okay, okay. So the gentleman that passed away, he had a daughter, although oh, they were okay, very okay. estranged. So she listed the house for sale. And that's wow. how I found out about it. And I have to be quite honest, doing all of those things to me seemed really, really fun. Like it seemed exciting. And I just loved it. And I loved every part of it and learning all of it. And to this day, I still do. So maybe that's my gift is I can look at something and I still get excited about building anything. I love that, Sue. So I think, you know, you were able to go in there and be like an actual visionary. Like you actually could see everything like, okay, if you did this, took this out, painted this and did this, like, that's incredible. That is a gift. That is a true gift to be a visionary in that, in that space. And the question for you that I have is, did you do this work yourself? <laughs> all of it. House? The, the wow. first seven years, I did all of the work myself. I'm wow. actually a, well, not anymore because it's been so long um, and my knees aren't the best anymore, but I was actually a pretty good carpenter. Sweat all my own copper, run my electric wires, flooring, cabinetry, doing things like that. Did my own siding, installed my own windows. I have never done a roof. And I think, that's about it. What? So you've done plumbing, you've done electrical, you've done what? Oh my God, Sue, this just brought me to a whole another thing. You should absolutely teach a course on like trades for ladies, you know, like basic things in the house. That would be so 
cool and awesome because you've done it all. I'm starting some mentorships from ground up uh, construction and teaching people how to build and have fun with it. I had fun with it. Oh my God. That, like, that's just incredible. And how did you learn that? That was insanely beautiful. A lot of phone calls to my brother who was in construction. I come from a family of tradesmen. So mm. from a very little girl, I, my father was an electrician and I remember one year for Christmas, I might've been seven or eight. I was his little helper. I was daddy's little girl. He made me a little child size utility belt. So I would just go around helping him, or at least I thought I was helping him back then. I don't really know if I was providing much service, but I knew how to pull wires from a very early age. Isn't that so cool? Oh my gosh. I knew you flipped, but until now I did not realize like you actually did the work on the property, which is incredible. Wow, Sue. Oh my goodness. And so I can only imagine that past that point, just took it and ran with it. You're like, yep, this is what I'm doing. I love it. Like how, what was it like after that process, after the first flip? After the first flip, it was great. Went on to, did a couple more that were also very, very good. I had a family restructuring shortly after that time. And that was right when we were going into the recession. Having been out of the workforce at that point for nine years, technically out of the workforce, I was not as marketable as I would have liked to have been. So I continued with construction and I continued. By then I knew quite a few other people that were flipping houses and I became their go-to gal. And as I grew, I found uh, folks that would be handy and helped me out and, and grow and develop. And it just kind of happened. I mean, there were some ups and some downs. There's no question about it, but that's, right. it took 15 years to get where I'm at to almost no 20 years to get where I'm at. Wow. So, oh my goodness. And then 2008, 2009, which everybody talks about, and I actually didn't get into the real estate game. It wasn't until like 2013, 2014. So I never like lived through that through the real estate downturn, everyone was like, oh, wait, oh, nine. I'm like, I um, wasn't here for that. I was in high school. <laughs> I graduated in 09. So I was like, I don't know what, that, what that's like. So I know that there's an impending storm upon us in terms of what's coming. And what was that experience like for you? Because obviously you were on the up and up, you know, mm -hmm. in the 2006, 2007, when things were going lovely. And then 2008 and 2009 hit. What was that? What was that experience like for you? That was crushing. That really was. That was probably the lowest point of my life. In the Chicago area, in Illinois and Chicago, we were decimated here. Just to give a point of reference, the Chicago market didn't even start writing the larger banks, did not even start offering new construction loans to preferred people until 2017. That's how slow Illinois and Chicago was to come back with any type wow. of new construction. It was really hard. So in the Chicago area, I had from 2007 to about 2011, where things were really, really difficult. I never, ever wish to anybody the horrible feeling of not being able to find work when you want to find work. It was scary. It was really living on a shoestring budget. Things escalated and then... I started feeling really sorry for myself, fell maybe into a little bit of depression, into, a, you know, into just spiraling out of control. And my girls were little at the time. It was, it was hard. There was a period of time where keeping the lights on and just basic needs like food, I had yeah. to get help for. People were there to help. You know, we did have, I hate to say it, food stamps for a few years. 
to get through those times and help with utilities and some rent, but we made it through. There, there came a point that things got really bad in one week and it was in October, I think of 2018 and it all collapsed to the point it looked like I was going to be without a home and you know, my landlord giving me a five day notice there was a red tag on the door the next day that the water, I had five days to pay my water bill. It seemed completely helpless at that point. It didn't seem like I had any way out. And I borrowed my friend's car, went to church, which I'm not the most church going person, but if there was ever a time and I just got down on my knees and I asked God, please give me work. And ever since that day, I've had more than enough work. Also, oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. So there have been some ups and some downs. There's no question about it. But I am forever grateful that I have had work to be able to support myself and my family. But I also think I needed to learn a lesson there too, because I was feeling sorry for myself. And I think ever since then, I stopped feeling sorry for myself. It was okay, whatever I've got to do, I've got to do and, and took on projects that maybe weren't elaborate or weren't lovely. And I managed apartments in Chicago's toughest neighborhoods and have had to do things that were difficult, but things flourished. Things got better from there. Thank you so much for sharing that, Sue. And I mean, like, you know, what's crazy is those moments are really what define us. You know, they absolutely do. They humble us and they bring us down to what we really are. And it's insane that when you started practicing that gratitude, how everything shifted. Yes. Be grateful for everything that I had. And I have had just such a wonderful life. It's been crazy sometimes, but how wonderful it's been. Right. And like, and how you picked yourself back up from all of that. And I mean, I've heard stories from that point in time where it was like people literally getting kicked out of their, their house and just like crazy. And I'm just like, Oh my God. And then I'm like, well, what would you do differently this time? And, you know, I'm always asking about market insights on like what you think is coming because a lot of people think that another one of those is coming very, very soon. What are your thoughts on like the market? Cause you've seen it once before already and in other times. as well. I firmly believe that there's going to be a change in real estate. I think there's, yeah. going to be some changes globally because this pandemic has affected many people globally. Not many. It has affected the, the entire globe. I'm in the process of working on a larger development. And one of the things that I'm going to be doing is selling a fair amount of the homes right away, because I think the market's still really strong. We do have lower interest yeah. rates right now, and there's a housing shortage in many areas. So I think we can take advantage of that. I think to prepare personally, Take on as little as debt as possible. If it means buying a five-year-old car that you can pay for cash, just do it. I've learned to live in a way that is maybe a little beneath what I can't afford and it's comfortable because if times get bad, I know I can survive. I think that is what I learned from the last time. Do not carry a lot of debt. Carry as little debt as possible. Right. Totally agree with that. That's what everyone's been telling me. Like, don't over leverage, Pam, you know, to keep no debt. And you'll be good no matter what storm, what storm comes across. And I mean, so you've been exposed to so many things in the, in the real estate game. And, you know, I know there's a lot of people listening that are interested in like the flipping and the development and the construction and all of that. What's like your biggest piece of advice, like when it comes to con the construction side of things, as well as like the development side of things, like things to look for, things that you should be doing, like different tips and tricks and tools that, that, used, that you used over the years. That made you successful. The biggest obstacle, most people that are especially new in real estate, 
they overlook and it's just as important as what the house is going to sell at, you need to know your construction budget. For the perfect reason, you can buy a house. Let's just, I'll make an example. $100,000, you're going to buy the house. You think the construction is going to be twenty-five or 30000 and the house is going to sell for 200000 And those are the numbers you've come up with. And you've realized that, okay, anything more than 30000 for, con- I have 30000 for construction, so that's what it's going to be. Well, saying that you have 30000 for construction and the real number's 80 or 120, you need to know the construction numbers before you make any type of purchase. Make friends with a contractor if you have to pay them. If not, you could potentially, before you the ink is dry on the closing papers, you could be in for a huge loss if you don't know your construction numbers. You need to know those. Those are really critical. They're just as important as to knowing what the ARV on your home is going to be. That is the most critical thing I think you need to know. And the most successful real estate investors, without a doubt, are the best at knowing what their construction numbers are going to be. Really, what is this project going to cost? Right, right. And so with that, how does one who knows nothing about construction (laughs) figure out a construction budget? The best thing I would advise people is to become, find a, a trusted partner who's a general contractor or somebody who's really good in the trades and can give you good numbers. That's really what you need to do. You will probably have to pay that person or that company to come out and look at your projects and analyze them for you. That's how I would go about it. On the same note as what I said before, if somebody tells you the budget's 100000 please don't think that for some reason, just because you want it to be 40000 you can do it for that. I see that all the time. Well, I can do it for less. I don't know how, but maybe you can. <laughs> I don't think you can do it for less than the cost of the materials, but give it a go. <laughs> That's another thing. Materials are up there saying an average of 23%. I'm like, I feel like that's low. Like lumber has gone up more than hundred percent within itself right now with COVID. I'm like, it's madness. Lumber prices nationally, we went up almost 300, over 300% until fall of 2021. They started to come down a little bit. And in the last month and a half, six weeks, they're going up again. So right now is a very difficult time to navigate some of the pricings on lumber. And if you're going to be doing a large project, talk to your lumber supplier. There's chances you can prepay at today's dollars so you can actually normalize your budget. So you at least know where you're going to be. And that's that's what I'm going to be doing You know, on my large project. I will be paying a certain percentage of all of my lumber to get the prices at today. If the prices come down, I will be given that number. So at least they're not going to go any higher and I can budget safely. Absolutely. Like you said, the construction budget is like the most critical and most important thing. In the it is. Like I tell people, I'm like, how do you, do- you want to flip houses and you don't know anything about construction. That's fine. Cause I didn't know anything about construction either when I first started, but making sure that budget is like tight. I, I literally put a 25% contingency in there too. That's a great idea, Pamela. That is a great idea. Did you partner with some people that were really great in construction that helped you out initially? Initially, yes. So I I hired a coach in the beginning and then we had the contractor and everything. But like in the first deal, I think I only budgeted like 10%. And then after the first deal, I was like, uh, no, it's going to be like 25, 30%. What I wonder is the developers who didn't incorporate these material costs, 
how they did, you know, with everything with the budgets, because these material costs, like you were saying, 300%. I thought it was more like a hundred or something like, you know, but it's like 300% on lumber and lumber. If you're framing a house, I mean, you, it's huge. A lot of lumber. Right. It is. It's, it's huge. It, it's a big difference. I mean, they, it, it came down almost half of what it was highest point and it's going up a little bit more now hopefully it'll come back down again but the market with lumber is really volatile the market with anything that's plastic made or petroleum based too and i don't know if people realize petroleum based products are your roofing shingles you know some insulation products a lot of things really go into petroleum all of your asphalt is petroleum so those prices are kind of all over the board right now as well too as gas prices fluctuate it's so crazy to think about. Like, I'm just like, wow, it's it's madness. And what's about to come? I mean, I don't know. I'm just hearing there's a storm coming first quarter of 22. So I guess we'll see how that shakes out. You know, we'll see. We'll see what happens in the real estate and in the development world. But I'm hearing that more so on the stock side first, and then it'll affect real estate. It's real estate will get a direct hit. I think this year is going to is a lot of things are going to change. It's going to be a, it's going to be an interesting year to navigate. And I think there's going to be some areas that throughout the country that will do fair, far better real estate wise than others. And as it was even in, in the last recession, I don't think Chicago is going to do well. I, unfortunately, there, there's a lot of indications that it may not only because prior to COVID, our housing prices had still not recovered from the Great Recession. I just can't believe when you're saying in 2017 is when they started approving new construction loans. That's insanity. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, it was really interesting. It's been it's been very interesting here in in the Chicago market to navigate. And from real estate prices, there's still areas that have never are not even at the same value they were in 2006. And now how have you not been able to navigate in such a difficult market? Because, you know, that's one of the real estate investor questions all the time. How do you choose your market? You know, like what's what's some advice that you would give? How to choose a market? Look Right now, it's a little bit difficult because we've had COVID has given us an artificial bubble. If you're going to invest in an area, for example, you're going to flip a couple of homes. Look at the prices of what those homes were before COVID and see what that really was at that point. If you have a project that's going to be less than four to six months, I think you're pretty safe at today's dollars. But for example, my large project that I'm working on in Tennessee. I'm comparing the prices and the Airbnb rental market at spring of 2019 and summer of 2019. I'm not taking 2020 into account and or 20 or this, you know, uh, 2021. Because even though those these numbers are fabulous right now and it could show that you're hugely wildly profitable, it's probably a bubble. If my project can stand on numbers that existed in 2019 and we go back to a normal, quote unquote, whatever that normal may or may not be, I'm you know, pretty comfortable with moving forward with it. My lender agrees, you know, that's what we're doing. Just try not to get into comparing, unless you have a short-term project, thinking that today's dollars are going to be long-term. As we all know, as soon as interest rates start climbing, people's buying power starts dropping. So we're going to see it will automatically see a little bit dip in the in the housing market. That, that's great recommendation. So I think that's so, such solid info. Because again, it's how do you not lose your shirt? Now, you cannot go off today's numbers. No, you have to, you have to not over leverage yourself. 
Like I know so many developers here in Boston that are like, everyone's on hold. I stopped my investments, like purchasing new acquisitions since 2019, unless it was like a deal that it was like, that's like a fire sale. Like, the, like unless it was an absolute steal, I was like, I want nothing to do, to do with it. You know, I am all the way set, you know? So it's the same thing. And it's going to be, you know, I know there's a lot of people who are interested in real estate or are in real estate that listen to this podcast. So I wanted to get some of those pointers out. But, but my question was going to be, you know, to get back to you and your awesomeness, what would your older self tell your younger self based on what you know now? And it could be business, it could be personal, it could be anything that you want it to be. That's a wonderful question. Thank you, Pamela. You're making me think here for just a moment. I think for many years, I, as a woman, I was, even though my parents were a little bit different, it was the time I was raised, I was, or I had the belief that I needed to dumb it up, that I couldn't really be super smart because that's not what women should be. And it wasn't until my 40s that I allowed myself to be smart. And I'm actually a fairly intelligent person. I'm not genius or anything, but I would tell myself to never dumb it up. I should have just been able to shine the way I am and, and just be confident in what I know, how to do things, how I can figure things out. And I would share that with all women. I think women were, were taught to don't say too much, don't be too smart, dumb it up or quiet it down because you don't want to hurt a man's pride. And I'm not advocating offending anybody. I'm just advocating shining as women and playing dumb for somebody else is, it was dishonoring myself. I love that. So I love that. I mean, because in this, in this world, you know, we were taught, I mean, it, coming from Albanics, that's where I was born, right? Like it was always like the women are submissive. You don't, you know, you don't do all these things, right? And you're taught to dumb it down. And that's exactly what you're saying. Don't, don't speak your mind, do your thing, stay fabulous as to who you really are. Yes. Thank you. And now you mentioned your development that you're working on. So I'd love to know, like, what are you working on in the next six to 12 months? What's, what's going on in Sue's world? I am so excited, Pamela. This has been a dream of mine for many years. It's coming to fruition. I have a beautiful parcel of land uh, near the, right in the Smoky Mountains. Uh, under contract, it's about 120 acres. Going to be making a nice secluded, putting about 25 homes on there for people to enjoy with a clubhouse, with offices, little organic farm will be on there. I'm looking forward to that. And kind of catering to people that are coming from the big cities that no longer need to work there and are looking to get back into nature, loving nature. I'm also going to be prohibiting single-use plastic. I'm trying to love the earth and make up for maybe some of the, the indiscretions I've done to our, our beautiful earth uh, up until this point, but also by providing a beautiful space for people to enjoy nature and have some nice seclusion and, and just hopefully just fall in love with it. A little bit of a unique, a little unique. I'm putting in about four or five uh, tree houses as well. Yeah, livable tree houses. What? Yeah, why not? Sign me up, Sue. I want to see this plan. This treehouse sounds good to me all day, every day. Well, thank you. It's going to be conditioned with heat and uh, air conditioning, so we're going to be able to run those in the through the whole entire year. So I'm looking. I'm looking forward to this. This is a fun project. Are they going to be Airbnbs? Is you totally should Airbnb those the treehouses? Is that going to be? <laughs> well, right now, as we had previously just touched on talking about 
what's the best strategy long-term because this is a long-term project. So some of the initial um, homes are gonna be sold. The market's really strong in there and it's going to be about half and half. So half of the property is going to be sold to individual people and they still will be under an HOA. So it, it will, the land itself will, will be preserved and be honored for what it is and provide people that something that's not overbuilt but they can enjoy and, and relax and, and, you know, close to Knoxville airport, close to Gatlinburg, close to Asheville. So it's really in the heart of so many different things, but tucked away to just, just fall in love with the land and wake up to the mountains every day. I love it. I love it. Sue. Thank you so much for sharing that. I'm so excited for all the awesomeness that's happening in your world and so honored to have you here today. Now you've got to let everyone know where to find you and your awesomeness. Currently at August James Limited is the name of my residential construction company in Chicago. And you can find me there on my website. Otherwise, email me at sue at augustlimited.com. And I'm on LinkedIn as well. And I don't know the tag to it right now. So I apologize. Or you can always just shoot me a phone call. And I love talking to people about anything, especially, uh, helping and supporting women. And uh, if I could, you know, encourage all women, do not be afraid of construction. Do not be afraid of real estate. It's fabulous. Just have fun with it. Love it, Sue. And yes, to you were mentioning this earlier that you do have the mentorship program as well, especially for, yes. for women. So, you know, anyone who's interested, they can most definitely reach you and, and talk about that as well, which would be super awesome because I know you'll teach them all the awesome things. So that's so exciting. Thank you, Pamela. Thank you so much. It's been such a pleasure working with you and talking and getting to know you as well. Thank you so much for being here today, Sue. You are an absolute rock star. Thank you so much. So that's it for today's episode of Underdog. Catch us next week, always dropping on Thursdays. And remember, if you're interested in real estate or want to learn how to create more money and magic in your life, check out meetwithpamela.com and let's chat. Sending you so, so much love. All we know is over time, working like some underdogs. Underdogs.